Maybe you know what it feels like to be in the back seat of a minivan or an SUV or a car that's driving a long way. Maybe you've been on the road for two hours or three hours. You're driving through the desert of Arizona or New Mexico or Texas or Oklahoma. You're somewhere on a long road trip and you're in that seat in the car where the sun is coming through the window on you and you've just been sitting there And it's the summertime, so it's hot, and where you're at, it's like 100 degrees outside, and you're uncomfortable, and you're in that position where your legs are kind of sweating, and like like under your knee, you kind of have that gross feeling, and you just kind of want to move around, and maybe you ask your parents the question, are we there yet? You ever had that feeling? I've had that feeling. It doesn't get much better when you're older. Actually, it gets worse when you're older. To be in a car for a long time, trying to go somewhere, and usually, That question is a bad question if you ask it once and then twice and then three times. And that can be an annoying question to your parents if you say, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And they keep saying, no, we're 100 miles away. No, we're 99 miles away. No, we're 98 and a half miles away. And it's like, oh, I stopped asking that question. But I do sympathize with that question. If you're on a long journey and a long road trip, and you know it's gonna be a while till you get where you're at, and you wanna know where you're at in that road trip because you're uncomfortable, I totally get why you'd ask that question. And sometimes, when we look at the Christian life, we can ask that question because last week we talked about becoming a Christian. We talked about how, for some people, they start becoming a Christian, and this is how it is for everybody who becomes a Christian, you start becoming a Christian when you stop trusting yourself and start trusting in Jesus and you repent of your sins. You do what Paul did in Philippians 3. But after that, there's, a, for a lot of people, a long time before they get to that end destination. Right? And for you, if you're a Christian, there's probably a long time period, for you probably, between when you became a Christian and when you'll actually be there with Jesus. And you can start to ask the question, are we there yet? Well, what Paul's going to do in the next four weeks of Philippians, we're going to look at questions of, are we there yet? And you, that feeling of uncomfortableness, he's going to try to help us with that. Okay? And the first sermon comes right here from Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 to 16. So please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to finish this chapter in the next month, the month of February, the longest month of the year. I'm just kidding. We're going to go through this, the end of this chapter and try to see what we're supposed to do in the in-between time while we're on the road trip. While we're on the journey, what are we supposed to do? Basically, this passage starts out by Paul saying, we're not there yet. We're not to heaven yet. The verse before, verse 11, talks about attaining the resurrection of the dead, which is kind of a big phrase, which means getting to the end of my life, giving, being given a brand new body and a brand new place with Christ forever. Right? He says, I haven't attained that yet. I'm not there yet. Right? And I would say, if you're a person who's alive right now, and you're a Christian, neither of you, neither have I. I haven't gotten there yet. And what he says in verse 12 is actually a response, we think, to two bad points of view. I want you to see if you can figure that out right here in verse 12. Look what he says. He says, not that I have already obtained this. What's this? Right? Well, the last verse says, the resurrection from the dead. It says, or am already perfect. It seems like, Paul was writing to a group of people who were influenced by people who either said, hey, you know what? Once you get to a certain point in the Christian life, you'll never sin again. You will be perfect. You'll be no sin, no problems. Everything will be great for you. 
That was one group of people that we think might have been influencing them. Another is a group that really didn't care about me being more perfect. Look at what he says. He says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. That's a phrase which means to have it, to obtain it. I'm going to press on all the way towards heaven. Why? Well, he gives the answer. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He's telling a dad joke there, right? He's using sarcasm, he's using irony, right? That, oh, I'm going to keep trying, and I'm going to keep pushing, and one day I'll get there, I'll obtain the resurrection, I'll be with Christ, because Christ has made me his own. He says, that's why I do it. He repeats himself in verse 13. He says, brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, right? I do what? I do consider, I do think about, I'm going to try for. What is it? He gives two qualifiers here. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on. That's, that's the key of all of this. That's the one thing he's going to do. I press on. He already said that in verse 12. He even talked about it a little bit in verse 13. But in verse 14, I press on. That's the goal. So I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There's a lot here, right? I'm pressing on towards a goal, and there's a prize, right? I want you to see what Paul's saying. I want you to realize he's using an illustration. It's a great day to use this illustration. He's using a sports illustration here. That's what he's talking about. It wasn't the Super Bowl. Paul didn't have that, right? He's describing a running race, right? Imagine you've got a whole set of runners, right? Sprinters, maybe, who sprint, and they focus down the track, You've seen these guys, big quadzillas, you know what I'm talking about, right? They've got these quads that are huge, and they're, they're so strong and tall and fast, right? And what they do is they run a straight line, they stay in their lane, they focus on ahead, and really, beyond the goal, what are they thinking of? They're thinking of the prize, the gold medal, the win, right? That's what he's saying. He's saying, I am focusing squarely on the goal because of the prize. Those two things are similar. Last week, we said that his goal in life was to get to know Christ more. Right? And this text says to be more perfect. Right? Those are two things that are very similar. The more you get to know Christ, the more you're going to be like Christ, the more you're going to be perfect, right? That's what we ended with last week. That's the goal. But what's the prize? The prize is being there, the resurrection of the dead, having a perfect body in a perfect place with Christ forever. That's the prize. He's saying, I'm going to strain forward towards that. Then verse 15 kind of slams them a little bit, if you can catch it. It says, verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will, will reveal that to you also. He says, mature people recognize something that we need to press on. Mature people see that. Right? Immature people think, oh, I've got no sin. Oh, I, I got no sin to confess. I got nothing that I'm working on. I have nothing to, to worry about. Or maybe immature people say, oh, I got a lot of stuff to worry about, but you know what? It doesn't even matter because I'm saved, so I don't, I don't have to work hard to get rid of sin in my life. It, it doesn't matter. Right? He says immature people fall on two sides of that ditch, or two sides of that road into two ditches on two sides. Right? But what he's saying is, no, you need to focus like a mature person pressing on. He says only, verse 16, let us hold true to what we've attained. What that means is kind of confusing. What that means is hold true or Live out, keep doing what you have attained, the truth that you know. You've got to live up to what you've been taught. Right? If you know the truth, you've got to live up to it. You've got to respond to it. I know that you probably know that you're not perfect. Right? That's truth. You're not perfect. But notice how Paul treats that like it's a big deal. He says, I'm not perfect, but you know what? I'm working really hard 
to get rid of sin in my life. I'm working really hard. I'm trying. I'm running like an athlete. That's the goal of all this passage. I want you to do the same thing. If you're a Christian, I want you to work really, really hard to be more like Christ, to be more perfect. I remember we talked two weeks ago about people who work really hard to become a Christian. Don't get that confused. Don't work really hard to become a Christian. It won't work. You'll never get there. That's what we talked about two weeks ago. But remember, just remember that if you are a person who trusts in Christ, you have the ability now. Now you're in the lane. Now you can run. Before that, you don't even have your shoes on. You don't, you, you can't, you're not ready for that yet. You're not ready to run. But you can work hard and you can be more like Christ if you trust in him. So I want you to look at verse 12 again and see what he says. I'm not perfect. I've not already obtained this and I'm not perfect. Okay? I know that's really obvious. Like, oh, I'm not perfect. Well, I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. So it doesn't matter. Right? That's usually if you talk to somebody and say, are you perfect? They're like, well, I'm not perfect, but neither are you. And it's like, oh yeah, you're not, and I'm not. Oh, cool, like, we're like the same. Here, here's the thing. Right? That's not a good thing. That's really not a good thing. And that's super obvious. This is like kindergarten class right now, I know. Like, it's not a good thing that you're not perfect. But I want you to own that because usually what the world will say is, you're not perfect, and guess what? That's okay. And not only is that okay, you should embrace your imperfections, and you should embrace your sin, and because that's just a part of who you are. Right? That's why I say that. It sounds super obvious, but I want you to do this. Point number one, pinpoint things that you need to change. Pinpoint things you need to change. Imagine if you walked into a room and I looked at you and I said, ooh, you need to change. Right? How would you feel about the outfit that you're wearing? <laughs> Probably not very good. Or if it said, ooh, you need to change. You'd probably get mad at me, right? That's fine. I'd, I'd get mad at me. If, so, if I walked in the room and some, someone said, oh, you need to change, right? I'd probably be upset. But there have been many times where I've walked and looked at the mirror, and the mirror has yelled back at me, you need to change. Okay? Right? If it hasn't, you should listen to the mirror more. No. Uh, have you ever gotten mad at a mirror? Have you ever broken a mirror because you got so mad at the mirror have you ever done that? No. You woke up and he's like, oh, I look so terrible. Mirror, why are, you, why are you telling me I look so bad? Right? You've never thought that, right? You think that's really dumb if someone got mad at how they look so they just broke the mirror. <laughs> so that's not how, it's not solving anything, right? Here's the thing. James chapter one says the Bible is the mirror. The Bible is our mirror. And what it does is it shows us where we're wrong. Just like your mirror this morning showed you where your hair was messed up. I have what is called a cowlick, which means the back of my head, right where my head goes on the pillow, my hair does like a spinny thing, and it like turns up, which is why, like if you saw it, like it's really hard to make it go down. I want it to go down, right? I'm like those girls who have curly hair. I want straight hair. Well, if you have straight hair, you want curly hair, right? You know how that is? You've had that feeling? I just don't want this cowlick, right? But I never have broken a mirror or got mad at the mirror for telling me I had a cowlick. And then I need to put my hair down. And what I have to do is like put water on it and stuff and it's super annoying because I take showers at night. So it's just all annoying to me, right? But I never get mad at the mirror, right? I hope you never get mad at the mirror. Reason I say that is we can get mad at the mirror. And what a lot of people do, as James 1 says, they open up their Bibles, they see, ooh, I need to change that. I need to stop talking this way and saying that thing, and hanging out with those people, and doing this thing, oh, I need to stop all those. Uh, you know what? Uh, I don't want the mirror. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the mirror away. 
right? Well, just recognize what you're doing is, just like a person who wakes up, rolls out of bed, their hair's all a mess, say, ah, I don't like what I see. You know what? I don't want the mirror. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna roll with it. It's like, well, you know, you, you got cilantro in your teeth from last night's Chipotle. Like, you need to fix that, right? When, sorry, uh, that's really gross. If it stays in there, it's gonna corrode your teeth. Right? I'm, not, I'm no dentist. I don't even floss all the time, but um, I, sh- I, I know, sorry, I should, right? I should. I do more now. Never mind, I don't wanna talk about it. Um, <laughs> I feel bad because our dentist goes to our church and I think like all the times he gets told like, you know, you need to apply the Bible and then like, do I apply <laughs> flossing? Um, struggle for me. Anyway, I'm not perfect, right? We already talked about that. I, I already admitted that to you. But you never get mad at the mirror, right? You never put the mirror away and say, I don't want to see that, right? You respond to it because you recognize something's wrong with me, I'm going to change, right? And you even pinpoint things, right? You find the pimples, you get the blackheads. You squeeze your nose until, the, you know, um, all that stuff, you know? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I like doing that. Um, have you ever watched the YouTube videos of people, like, popping pimples? It's crazy. Crazy. Some of them are gross, but other ones are like, yeah, that's, it's cool. It's disgusting. Sorry. But here's what you got to do. If you want to fix something, you got to pinpoint it, right? You understand what I mean by pinpoint? Figure out what it is specifically. Don't just say, if I said, hey, are you perfect? And you say, no, I'm not perfect, right? And, and I'd say, okay, how are you not perfect? You'd be like, oh, you know, I'm disrespectful sometimes. Great, that's a good start, right? That's like saying, yeah, my face is messed up. Right? What on your face is messed up? Oh, well, I'm disrespectful with my parents. Great, your nose is messed up. What do I need to fix? Like, what do you need to fix on your nose? Oh, well, at home, I'm bad with my parents. Great, this part of the nose. You see how you want to go down, 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 figure out what that very specific thing is, and then deal with it, right? That's what I want you to do. Get really specific in your mind, and maybe on your piece of paper right now. What is it that I need to change? What's the specific thing? Not just a general, right? Because in small groups sometimes, if I say, you know, what sins are going on, you'd be like, oh, you know, I'm, you're prideful or anxious, right? Well, anxious about what? Right? Why are you anxious? For what reason? When do you feel it? Like, that's why your, your leaders will like ask you questions to try to pinpoint it. What you need to do is start learning how to ask yourself those questions and pinpoint it. Say, I'm angry. I'm angry about what? What thing happened, right? Pinpoint it and then solve the problem. Work to change. The Bible helps us with that. Pinpoint things you need to change. You're not going to be able to fix everything all at once because the problem that we're, problem with humans is we're like whack-a-mole. The Bible says we're like whack-a-mole. It doesn't say that. There's no chapter and verse I could say, you are like whack-a-mole. Have you noticed that they're not even moles? They're gophers. Someone mentioned that last, yeah, blew your mind again. Something you learned. Um, They're actually gophers. Whack-a-mole, they're not moles. Moles have the that weird, like, nose. They're blind, right? Anyway, whatever. Um, but it's like whack-a-mole. The reason it's like whack-a-mole is because if you think I've got this area of my life covered, I'm not disrespectful anymore. Here's what happens. You start thinking that, and then guess what happens? Ooh, I was disrespectful. Right? You've always got to be alert. That's why First Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says you should be sober-minded. That means to be alert. To always be aware of ways that you might be following. The next verse says in verse 14, this is 1 Peter 1, 14, it says, as obedient children, do not be conformed. Think of Plato or Silly Putty, right? What do you do? You conform it. You use it in your hands, you mold it, you shape it. 
He's saying, don't be conformed, the way you act, to the passions of your former ignorance. When you weren't a Christian and you didn't know about Christ, like, don't, don't change to be like you were before. It says, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. That means all the things you do, all the words you say, the ways you act, the attitudes you have. Since it is written, this is from the Old Testament, you shall be holy because I am holy. God says he wants his people to be like him. And more specifically, right, in the Old Testament, all you really knew was you have to be more like God. I have to listen to God's word. In the New Testament, looking back, now we have even more specifics on what we're supposed to be like because God put on human flesh and lived as a person. That's why we say you want to be more like Jesus Christ. You need more like Christ. You need to be more like Jesus. That's the goal. The danger is if you think that you've got your whack-a-mole areas taken care of and nothing's going to pop back up, you're probably in a bad spot. Because if you think nothing's going to pop back up, either you're not seeing it clearly or you have a, a bad expectation of how godly you are. If that sounds mean, I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Sometimes people ask me, why do we read the Old Testament? Especially right now as you're reading about offerings and sacrifices. And yesterday we read about the tabernacle being built and all the specifications, right? Why do we read about that? Why do we, do we still have to? Right? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 11 says basically in a word, yeah, you should. Here's why. This is 1 Corinthians 10 11. He's just talked about um, the Israelites in the wilderness. And if you know the story, they saw God do all these cool things and then they didn't, they didn't obey him like they were supposed to. Verse 11 says, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So people living later, that's us, right? In the first century it was them, now it's us. Those things in the Old Testament, they were written down as an example for us that we would learn. Now, what is the lesson we're supposed to learn? Look at verse 12. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. If you think that, oh yeah, I used to be disrespectful to my parents, but it'll never happen again, right? If you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. What that means is, if you think you're standing up, be careful. You're going to get knocked down. It's like a person in the waves turning around saying, look at me, I swam under the wave, turning their back on the ocean and getting pounded by the wave. You think you stand? Be careful. Take heed, be alert, because you could fall again. Pinpoint those areas that you need to change. Look at verse 13. This is the, the most famous verse in the chapter. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Think about what they just learned about. This Corinthians are reading this. They just learned about how the Israelites sinned and messed up and got judged by God for their sin. Now he says, no temptation that you have to be a disobedient, to be a complainer, to be arrogant, to be anxious. None of those temptations that you have to sin are unique to just you. They're not, like you're not the only one. And that's how you feel sometimes, right? You think, well, I'm the only one who feels this way. I'm the only one who's tempted to do this. I'm the only one who's tempted to think that way. Stop thinking that. This verse says it's not true. It says, God is faithful. He's faithful in the Old Testament. He's faithful to us now. 
and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. This is for Christians. This is not true about non-Christians. This is not true for non-Christians. It's only true for Christians. If you're a Christian and you really trust in Jesus, God will never let you be tempted in such a way where you have no choice but to sin. Today, if you watch the Super Bowl, you can go online and see percentage wins and losses, right? It's like, the, right now it's, I don't know what it's something like, you know, 54% San Francisco, like 46% Kansas City, right? Something like that, right? But as the game goes on, there's like these percentages. If, if you know, Kansas City comes out and they are winning by a ton, it might be 90% their win, 10% uh, 49ers win, right? You, you see how that works? As you go on through the game, people make their, it's just statistical. Here's the thing. For Christians, it's never 100% sin, 0% chance of success. Ever. Never, ever is it. If you're a non-Christian, yeah, sometimes it is that way. Sometimes. It's 100% opportunity to sin, and you got no way out. But if you're a Christian, you never are at 0% chance. Ever. God will always, what it says right here, provide a way of escape. With the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may endure it. Always. There's always the opportunity for you not to do the wrong thing. So be careful. If you think you're standing, if you think you're doing great, you can celebrate that. But just like you would celebrate body surfing a cool wave in the ocean, if you stand up and turn your back on the ocean, just be careful because you're going to get hit again. And you need to be ready. You need to be prepared. So pinpoint the things you need to change. Then... Paul says, here's what I'm going to focus on. Back in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, here's what he says. He says, brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own. I'm not perfect. I'm not there yet. But one thing I do, right? I said the one thing he did was press on. That was the whole point of this sermon. But there's two things he says before that. There's two things that he does that help him press on. Here's what they are. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Forgetting what happened in the past, not focusing on that, but focusing ahead, focusing forward, keeping your eyes on the prize, keeping your eyes forward. This is what that means for us. Point number two, I'd love for you to write this down. Focus on your opportunities, not the past. Focus on your opportunities, not the past. I understand that even to do point one, you've got to think on the past and think, okay, what did I do? What, what, where did I fall short? What did I do wrong? What did I do right? That's good. And you should be self-reflective. But then once you figured out what you need to do, stop thinking about the past. You have to stop at some point. If all you do is think about the past, you will never, ever do the right thing. You just can't because all you're concerned about is the past. The illustration that Paul gives here is a, is a sports illustration, running, a race. Think about this. Maybe you've seen this before, but two runners or multiple runners are running down their lanes, right? And as they're running, you ever seen this? Someone is running and then looks over their shoulders to see where the person is, right? What happens when someone runs and does that, right? You slow down, you lose, right? Even I was uh, running against Cameron the other day at Up All Night and he turned around and I got him. That's when I got him, when he turned around. It's like, how far back is he? Boom, got him, right? Sorry, Cameron. Um, but I wasn't gaining on him. We were going for about 50 yards and I didn't get a single pace on him. But the second he turned around, I got him. Um, but the idea here is, like that, that's, the, that's the principle he's trying to teach. So what does that look like for you? Okay? There's two things that we do, two things that I can see that we do 
that slow us down by looking at the past, okay? One of them you might think is good, one of them you might think is bad, but I'm telling you, both of these things are bad things, okay? Here's the first one. When you look in the past and you see good things that happened, and I did really well at that thing, sometimes what you can do is pat yourself on the back, self-congratulating, let's just say. You congratulate yourself, and then you don't do the right thing today. Here's an example. You might say, well, I'm a really good prayer. I pray. I pray a lot. You know, I prayed every single day last week. Not just for two minutes, but like, I prayed for like five minutes every day. I prayed like 10 minutes every single day. Awesome. Are you going to pray today? Oh, well, I, I, I prayed. Like, do you see how I did that? See, I, well, no, look, I, I prayed all the days last week. So I, no, I'm not going to. That's what some, we think, okay, well, I was so good at this in the past, so I must, I must just be good at it in the future. No, focus ahead. Say, okay, you pray, that's fantastic that you prayed before. Are you going to pray today? And that's just one example. I could say the same thing about you know, being lazy with homework. You might say, I'm not a lazy person. Oh, fantastic. That's great. I'm glad you haven't been lazy in the past. But are you going to be lazy on your homework today? Right? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to cut myself some slack. Well, okay, then you're lazy. Right? Sometimes... If we look in the past and all we're focused on is what we've done in the past and we've been good at something, we won't do that thing in the future. There's the other side of that, which is not self-congratulating, but self-loathing, right? Or looking back saying, I was such a failure, I'll never be able to do it. I know I've, I've been lazy and I haven't done my chores well, like ever. I've never been good at doing chores. I've never done what my parents said the first time. Like, I can't remember the last time, right? Okay. Glad you recognize that. Thanks for pinpointing that as the thing we need to fix, we need to work on and change. Okay, here's the thing. If you're a Christian, you know what you can do? You can do the right thing. Right? Even if you're not a Christian, you can still do the right thing. Now, doing the right thing doesn't make you a Christian. and You have to recognize that. Making, being a Christian and being saved from your sin is about asking Jesus for forgiveness and turning away, saying, I'm not going to do those sinful things anymore. I'm going to follow you. And maybe some of you have not done that, but for those of you that have, you can do the right thing. Even if you've been bad at it historically. If all you're doing is looking in the rearview mirror, you're going to get in trouble. This week I was having lunch or having breakfast with Michael Bryant. And on my way to get breakfast with Michael Bryant, I was going through an intersection. And it was a smaller intersection, so not that many people were going through it. I was the only one. And as I'm going, I look, and this car comes flying over the hill, runs a red light. I hit the brakes really hard, and I stop at like two feet, three feet in front of this person. And they just, just zoom past me. You know, if you can imagine, I'm, I'm hung. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, I saw them kind of crest over this hill. I'm like, they're not going. They're not, oh, they're going. And then I stopped, right? Well, there's a lot of things I could have been doing going through that little intersection. I could have been changing the song on, on my phone. I could be picking a new podcast. Another thing that happens a lot of times when people get in accidents, something that they're doing is they look in the rearview mirror. If you're looking in the rearview mirror, oftentimes people rear end the person in front of them. Right? I know you don't drive, but you can imagine going through an intersection. I could have been focused on a lot of things, but if I wasn't aware, and I'm really thankful that in that moment I, I was aware, because if not, I don't know what would have happened. Right? Michael couldn't have had breakfast with me. That's what would have happened. Uh, but it would have been bad, right? If I was focusing behind me. 
Same thing's true for you. If all you're focused on is the good things that you've done in the past or the bad things that you've done in the past, you'll probably not be good at doing the opportunities you have to do good today. You just probably won't be good at it. In Luke 9, 62, Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. What that means, there's a group of people and one guy, he said, I want to hang out with my parents before I go follow you. I want to go say bye to these people. I want to, he says, no, you know what? If you're going to look back, if you're going to focus on what happened before and the sin that you got to enjoy before and being sad about not having that anymore or thinking like Paul did that you were really a, a good person before and thinking, well, I'm such a good person, right? Well, you have to leave that behind and say, I'm just going to follow Christ today. I told you in the first point, I want you to pinpoint those opportunities, right? This point, I'm saying focus on the opportunity. So here's what I want you to do. I want you, on your piece of paper, I know I didn't give you many verses for, for point number two, I want you to start writing some things down. I want you to make a list right now. I'm going to give you some examples of things that maybe you pinpointed and opportunities you'll have to do the right thing, to change. So what we said in the first point was there are things that we do, and sin is when we do the wrong thing. Right? There's something we shouldn't do that we do. Right? But sin is also not doing the thing that we should do. Right? And one of those good things that we should do, and that everyone would agree is a good thing to do, but sometimes you don't do, I've already mentioned, is maybe reading your Bible. And some of you think, yeah, ooh, yeah. I know that like most days I read my Bible, but I know it doesn't happen every day. Okay. okay. If all you're focused on is how you did last week, whether good or bad, you probably won't do a good job this week. That's why you've got to focus on the opportunity. So you have an opportunity to read your Bible. And if you're on one of our DBR chats, you have an opportunity to post something on those chats and talk about it with, with your friends and your small group and your leader. Awesome. Take that opportunity. It's a great opportunity you have. I said the same thing about prayer. Right? For some of you, you might think, okay, I've read my Bible, but when I'm done, I like just start doing other stuff and work on homework or whatever, and I don't, I don't talk to God. Right? Guess what? Today, you have the opportunity to do that. You have the opportunity. So are you going to take that opportunity? If all you're focused on is either, oh, I was really good at praying before, or I haven't prayed at all, guess what you're not going to do? You're not going to pray today. Another thing that you might need to start doing or stop doing involves the words that you say. Some of you are thinking, well, there's some words that I say to my parents or my siblings that I need to stop. I know that I shouldn't be so mean. I shouldn't be so rude. I shouldn't be so disrespectful. I need to stop those things. Right? That's great. That's an opportunity you have. Some of you think, well, there's some words that I haven't been saying that I should say, like thank you, and, and please, and you're welcome, <laughs> or things like encouragement to my friends, and I know that I should encourage that person, and I've been meaning to, but I just haven't done it. Or for some of you, you've said, oh, I want to tell that person about the gospel, I want to invite them to church, but I just haven't done it, right? Guess what? You're probably going to have an opportunity this week. So think about it. Write it down. Another thing is the attitudes that you have. Right? You might say, well, I've, I'm kind of a negative person. Or maybe I'm a really positive person. I'll never be negative. Right? If all you're focused on is how you've been, right, then you might have a bad attitude with your parents or with your homework or with your chores or whatever. Right? That's an opportunity you have today and tomorrow and this week to do the right thing. To pinpoint the thing and then say, I'm going to do differently today. Others of you might have that with obedience to your parents. That you know that 
your parents tell you to do stuff and like you get around to it, but the way that you handle it is you let them say it once, twice, three times, and then on the third time, finally I go do it. They might tell you, you need to finish your homework before you go on Instagram, or you need to finish your homework before you play video games, or you can't go outside until you're done with that assignment. And in the past, you might think, well, I, sometimes I've done that and I've, I've cheated on that a little bit. Okay, don't do that anymore. Let's do the right thing today. Just notice you have so many opportunities to do exactly what God wants you to do. You can do those things. Some of you might be <clears throat> lazy or neglectful, right? That means it's not doing the things you should do with school or sports or things that your parents tell you to do. You have opportunities. I want you to write a couple of those things down. Hopefully you have at this point. If you haven't, I'd love for you to do it right now. Think through a couple things that you've been meaning to do or you should have done or you know was wrong that you did that you're not going to do next time. It'd be great for you to do that, to keep this worksheet and to look at it tomorrow morning and maybe on Tuesday morning, maybe on Wednesday morning too, if you haven't done those things. It'd be awesome. That's what it looks like to grow. We talk about spiritual growth. We talk about, oh, you want to be more like Jesus. This is how you do it. One of the ways, at least. Practical way. Very simple, practical thing to do. You might say, well, you told me to do this on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. I mean, I can't remember what I did yesterday. Right? How am I going to be motivated? How am I going to stay motivated? Paul says, Philippians 3, 14. I press on, that's the main thing, be more like Jesus, towards the goal for the prize. Two words, really important. Goal and prize. I don't think they're exactly the same thing, but if you think through this running analogy, I think it makes more sense. Right? You press on towards the goal, and the goal doesn't change. Right? The goal never changes. The finish line, it never changes. It's always right there. Right? That's why you keep your eyes on it. The goal never changes, so you can focus on it. The goal for us, what was the goal? We said the goal is being like Jesus. That never changes, right? He doesn't, you know, one day you pick up your Bible, it's not a different Bible. Right? He's not saying one thing one day and another thing another day. We've, we've got what he says and, it's, and that's it. It doesn't change. Right? But the prize, something we don't always think about, but a prize, that's the thing that motivated Paul. He said earlier in the book that, you know what? I wish, I wish that I was with Christ. It was far better for me to be with Christ. I'm hard-pressed between the two, but I know that it's better for me to remain with you. I know it's better for me to be alive and be with you guys, talking Paul to the Philippians. But he was so looking forward to being with Christ in the end. That motivated him, and it should motivate you too. Point number three, write this down. Stay motivated by the finish line. Stay motivated by the finish line, because it's there. For us, that's scary, because it's like, when's the finish line? I don't know. But the finish line is when we get the prize. We reach the goal and we get the prize. Did you know that there are millions of Christians who are perfect right now? Millions of Christians that fought the good fight and are now perfect. None of them are alive today. None of them are living on this earth, but there are millions of perfect Christians in a perfect relationship with God. Have you ever thought about that? That, that that's the goal of the Christian life, and they've made it, and they're there. Because when you die and, and go to be with Christ, he makes you an instant perfect. Philippians 1, 6 said that he who started a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 
He's going to keep making you more like Christ. I've seen a lot of you do a lot of crazy things because you're motivated to do it. Like a lot of you like school. Does anybody like school? Anybody here like school? We got school fans, right? Here's the thing. You're motivated to read books, take tests, do a lot of things that maybe the person sitting next to you would say, that's crazy, I would never want to do that. Why? Because you're motivated. By what? For some of you, it's getting good grades. Some of you, it's because your parents make you. Some of it, it's just whatever, right? But you're motivated. And you do really hard things because you're motivated to do it. Some of you are like that with sports. Some of you are really talented. Others of you are not that talented, but you work really hard. Some of you are talented and you work hard. That's fantastic. It's great to be both. But there's a lot of you that work really hard to do a lot of really hard things and you get up earlier than the rest of us do. You run more miles than the rest of us do. You shoot more shots than the rest of us do. You work in your flexibility and your training more than the rest of us do. But you do it because you're motivated. It's hard, but you do it. Some of you do funny stuff like um, you'll post funny videos on social media and you'll stand in front of a phone and like dance with no music, okay? Some of you will do that, why? Because you're motivated. For what, right? Well, because I, I want to be funny, I wanna, it's, it's funny, I want people to laugh, I want to make people laugh, I'll, I'll, I'll make myself be foolish so that everybody else can enjoy it. Fine, you're motivated. But you do things that maybe the rest of us wouldn't because you're motivated. We all have things like that. I just want you to recognize that this is not too hard for you if you're properly motivated. It's not too hard. Because the motivation for this is better than getting good grades, it's better than being popular, it's better than being smart or funny or well thought of, right? The goal, the prize, everything involved with this is being with Christ. Perfect body, perfect place, forever. Perfect. I watched a video yesterday about Super Bowl rings and the company that makes them. And uh, the Super Bowl ring last year had 400 diamonds on it. 400 diamonds on a single ring. I think the Patriots organization, with everybody included, they made about 2,000 of them for everyone in their organization. That's nuts, okay? Craziness. It's a lot of diamonds. I didn't know there were that many diamonds in the world. Um, But I guess there are, because they put them on the Super Bowl ring. If you ask the players right now, right, what is it? It's, it's 12.25, right? You ask the players right now, hey, wh- why? Wh- why do you want to play this game? Like, I know it's the Super Bowl, but like, why, why do you even want to play this game? Like, it'd be so much better. Like, you could embarrass yourself. You could get hurt. You could make a fool of yourself. You could lose. Like, why are you playing this game? What are all of them going to say? Because I want the ring. I want to win. I don't care. I've been working so hard for this. I, I am not... My focus is squarely on the goal because I want to get the prize, right? That's what they're all going to say right now. And that's a good thing. Totally. That's totally right. Here's the thing. You should feel the same way about focusing on the goal of being like Christ for the prize that he's going to give you at the end. You should be just as motivated, if not more motivated. Realistically, if we're thinking logically, we're going to be more motivated because it's a better prize. The end of our series that we're going to go through in Philippians 3 talks about how our citizenship is in heaven. And from heaven, we await new bodies. We await our Savior, Jesus Christ, who's going to live with us forever. Paul was really focused on that. There's another text, 1 Corinthians 9, 24, where he says runners or athletes, they compete to win. They compete to win and they compete to win a prize. They want a crown. 
right? And for them, that was like a, a laurel wreath, the thing that's on the front of your door, right? That thing that your mom puts up and then forgot to take down from Christmas time, right? That thing, um, the wreath, that's what they had. And they put it on their head like a crown. He says, runners, they compete for that. Right? Today, people are going to compete for Super Bowl rings, but it's perishable. It'll metal will burn. Right? Perishable. But Paul says we do it for something imperishable. We do it for something that will never fade away. A prize that will never ever go away. In a perfect place where there's no paper cuts, there's no acne, there's no ingrown toenails. That's the worst. But there's none of that. There's also no heartbreak and there's no relationship problems and there's no crying because people hurt your feelings and there's no sleepless nights and there's no death, none of that. It's better than a Super Bowl ring. That prize is better and that should motivate you every single day. Let's pray. Let's pray that we stay motivated and we do those things that God wants us to do that we wrote down earlier. Let's pray.